Well, good morning. If you are with the children's ministry, there will be some teachers in the back. And for the rest of us, we are finishing up Colossians today. So turn with me to Colossians chapter 4. We are going to be in verse 7 to the end of the chapter. Colossians chapter 4. This weekend is one of my favorite weekends of the entire year. It's March Madness. In, four, in these four days, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and today, if my math is correct, and it's rarely correct, there's 48 games played in that short span. And I love it all, right? The Cinderella stories, the underdog stories. I love trying to pronounce colleges that I've never even heard of. I just love it. Absolutely love it. And I've always loved March Madness, even when I was a kid. So, but there was a problem growing up because I had to go to school and yet I wanted to watch March Madness. So there's my problem. But problems are like puzzles. They're meant to be solved. And so I tried to figure out how I wouldn't let high school get in the way of my enjoyment of March Madness. And then in God's providence, one day it came to me. So I was riding my bike home from a friend's house and there was a garage sale and I stopped and I beheld God's great gift to me in that moment. I bought a one inch black and white Sony handheld television. Ooh, this was a beauty. It was a little antique, but she would do the job. So I went to school. I smuggled in my backpack. And then I decided I'm just going to watch college basketball in each of my class, in each of my classes. But, but here, here's the problem. And this is what I learned early on that actually in order for me to accomplish this, I needed partners. I needed friends. Particularly, I needed friends that would sit in front of me. You see, if I was going to get a clear picture in this one-inch black-and-white Sony Walkman, I had to put the antenna about two feet up in the sky. So I needed a tall friend who would sit in, in front of me and block the teacher. And then I learned the hard way that I needed actually probably about two or three friends who would be faithful, who would keep their mouth shut, who loved college basketball, and who would sit there and not move as I enjoyed watching all of the games. And I promise you this, I did. We all need partners to accomplish great things. And that's true in the church. If we want to accomplish great things, we need to link arms with partners. Friends who will link arms in order to accomplish great things that God has called us to do. So Paul ends the book of Colossians and he lists, he details partner after partner, friend after friend, and how he's linking arms with these various partners in order to accomplish kingdom work. So here from verse 7 to verse 18, we have a list of just like networks of gospel partners that all do various things that are all sort of conscripted into kingdom work in order to accomplish the advancement of the gospel. So, it's good to have friends in high places. 
And that's what Paul is going to detail today. It's good to have friends that are all be humble and do various things in order to accomplish gospel ends. That's what we're going to consider this morning. The, the big idea will be behind me. And it's just simply this. We're going to look at it in two parts. Gospel partners encourage gospel maturity. So first, we're going to look at these gospel partners. Turn with me to Colossians 4, starting in verse 7. Tychicus will tell you all my faithful activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, one who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instruction, if he comes to you, welcome him, and Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature, fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear witness that he has worked hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Herapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of Laodicea, and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And see to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. So let's first look at these gospel partners. So in all, in these 12 verses, I count 10 gospel partners. And we're not going to get into all of the nitty-gritty of all of these 10 gospel partners, but I think kind of working out this basketball metaphor, so just if you don't care about basketball, just, I'm so sorry, but I'm just too deep in it right now, okay? So I think one way we can divide up these gospel partners, this network, is home team and away team, all right? So we've got home partners and away partners. And so let's look first at these Home gospel partners. We see that there are actually three home partners out of the listed seven gospel partners that Paul writes in these few verses. So the first there is in verse 9. Onesimus. Now we know he's a home partner because of what is said about him, right? Look look there in verse 9. Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you? Now, we, we know from Paul's other book, the book of Philemon, kind of a companion letter, that Onesimus was a runaway slave. So he stole from his, uh, from Philemon, he, he runs away, he goes to Ephesus, and then he goes to Rome where he's trying to just blend in. So, so he tries to outrun Philemon, but the hounds of heaven were coming after him, and though he could outrun Philemon, he could not outrun God. And so he is wonderfully converted at some point. He then joins up with Paul. And now Paul is sending him back to the church in Colossae. That's the first partner. 
The second partner is Epaphras, there in verse 12. Look there. And we have that same language, right? Who is one of you? Now, we, we, we know who Epaphras is because we read of him earlier in chapter 1. Verse 6, we read this of Epaphras. Since the day you heard it and understand the grace of God and truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved and fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the spirit. So Epaphras was a leader in the church of Colossae. He's a leader, he's a teacher, but there was problem. There was, there was all this tension going on and there were these false teachers and false teaching that was circulating in the church in Colossae. And so Epaphras goes to Rome in search of Paul to get advice on what he should do. But he's on the home team. He's one of the members of this church in Colossae. The third home partner is mentioned in verse 17. Archippus. Now, we, we, we don't get uh, that phrase, who is one of you, that would have been nice. But if you go to the companion book, the book of Philemon, in verse 2 of the book of Philemon, we read these words. To Philemon, our fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. So it just seems quite logical that, that actually Archippus is the son of Philemon and Aphia. And it's interesting also to note in just passing that Paul reminds Archippus that he has a particular apostolic ministry to fulfill. You see that there? Verse, verse 17. See that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord, right? Paul's like calling him out, right? It would be like if, if in the church bulletin I wrote, you know, or that someone wrote like, and hey, Jason Murdoch, don't forget to cut the grass, you know, something like that. Whatever this, whatever this is, Paul calls him out and says, hey, see to it that you fulfill the ministry that you have received from the Lord back at the church in Colossae. So those are the three home partners we could call them. We have Onesimus, Epaphras, and Archippus. And the rest, the other seven, they're away partners. So so they're in different locations, traveling partners with Paul, gospel partners, but they are not, you could say, members of, and they, they, they might travel or vacation in Colossae, but that's not their home church. And the first one to mention is Tychicus. Look there in verse 7. Oh, who is Tychicus? Well, he's mentioned five times in the Bible. Acts 20, Ephesians 6, 2 Timothy, and Titus 3, and then our text. Evidently, he um, was from Ephesus, and he was converted at some point, probably uh, in Paul's ministry, when Paul was preaching and teaching for those various years in Ephesus. He was probably there when the silversmith riot broke out in Ephesus that made Paul flee. But whatever happened, eventually we know that as Paul was going back to Jerusalem, Tychicus was one of the seven traveling partners with Paul back to Jerusalem. So when Paul's arrested, Tychicus was probably there. He probably stayed with him. And we know based on the description of him that he was a friend through thick and Thin. He is a beloved brother, faithful minister, fellow servant in the Lord. 
right? He, he was there when Paul stood in front of kings and governors. He was there when Paul was getting shipwrecked on a route to Rome. He was there when Paul was imprisoned, house arrest in Rome. He was a faithful brother. And what was he to do? Well, with Onesimus, who was being sent back, Tychicus was going to go to Colossae and deliver Paul's letters. That was his job, to take this letter and bring it to Colossae, and then actually probably some other ones to find Philemon, take that letter, and then uh, Laodicea and Ephesus. There's good reason to believe that pretty much Tychicus is a mailman. That's his kind of apostolic ministry, to deliver letters. So though he walked with Paul, encouraged Paul, ministry as he linked arms with Paul, now he's just sent off with some letters to Colossae, then probably to Laodicea, then to Ephesus to deliver these letters. Then in verse 10, we have Aristarchus, right? A fellow prisoner, so he's evidently in uh, jail with Paul. Then we have Mark, the cousin of Barnabas mentioned. Then we have Jesus, who is called Justice. Isn't that helpful? Right? As not to get confused with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, right? Nope, that's justice, not the Jesus that we might think in firsthand. Then if you just keep going to verse 14, we have Luke, the beloved physician. That's the author of the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. We've got Demas, along with a woman named Nympha, whose house is where the church in Laodicea was meeting. So we have all of these men and this woman, and they are gospel partners. They're a network of men and women inside of the church and outside of the church that are linking arms in order to encourage the mission of the church. Some, like Onesimus, are new converts. It probably seems logical to conclude that. Others, like Epaphras, are seasoned Christians and teachers in the church. We have some who, the only thing we know about uh, Nympha is that she's great at hospitality, or she had a great house. We don't know much about some of these, but we just know that they were part and parcel to the work of the early church. Well, it's not just the early church that need gospel partner. We all need gospel partners. Like, every church need, needs gospel partners. I think sometimes churches advertise or they market that they're like the only gig in town, right? That they are the only healthy church. That they themselves are finally a first century glorified, good, and wonderful, and Christ-exalting church while all the other ones are not as great. But that's quite short-sighted. We need gospel partners inside of this church and outside of this church. And when we do this, when we link arms with gospel partners inside the church and outside of the, the church, it can get messy, or, or I better, it will get messy. We even get a hint of it um, in our text. Demas, well, if you just read 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, we read, Demas, because he loved the world, has deserted me. Right? Gospel partners get messy, tragically messy, but they're Utterly vital. Last night, my wife and I were at a fundraiser for CareNet. It's a gospel partner. 
in a month, Phil and I are going to go down to Portland and we are going to attend our quarterly Northwest Church Network meeting. And what this is, is it's a group of eight like-minded churches that want to raise up and plant more churches and raise up more missionaries and pastors. Now, we could just do that by ourselves. But oh, how we could do this so much more effectively as we link arms with other like-minded churches to accomplish that. Well, I don't know if you know this, but Ben Spector, as he's finishing up his degree at Western Seminary, and because of our connection with Calvary Chapel, he gets a big, big uh, discount going there. Western Seminary, just like many seminaries, that's a gospel partnership. Like, I can't teach Greek or Hebrew. Maybe Aaron can. I can't. There's lots of classes I can't. And so seminaries have this niche, wonderful um, ministry as they partner with us to raise up leaders in order to help us accomplish our mission. And we have all of these gospel partners, right? We need them. Things like Healing Hearts Ministry, Nine Marks, Simeon Trust, Pastoral Networks, Mission Agencies, Affiliations, House of Blessings, and so many more. All of these partnerships are wonderful. They encourage us and the growth and help us accomplish the mission of making disciples. Gospel partners are necessary outside of the church. But we also need gospel partners inside the church. I mean, just think about this. What, what is the local church? Like, what, what makes a local church a local church? Well, a local church is nothing short of gospel people united in order to accomplish gospel purposes. It's just gospel people united together, linking arms together, partnering with one another in order to accomplish gospel ends and purposes. That's what a local church is. And so each of us individually are gospel partners. And so we need one another. We need each other in order to accomplish our mission. So, so we need people like Carol, who, who's helping create a culture of reading in our church And so we link arms with that gospel partner in order to encourage reading because God didn't write a video game. He wrote a book. That was a cheap shot. Sorry. Or or, or think about Mike and Debbie. We we need, I mean, who who else to, to help our church be more orderly as it relates to ushering ministry and so many more than people who have a military background? We need their gospel partnership. We need to link arms with lots of people. I mean, Kenya lost a gospel partner in Veronica. But their loss is our gain, isn't it? So some of you might not know this, but, but every time we preach a new book, we're, we're starting a new series in a book, Aaron Sherwood spends time studying, learning, writing up a whole worksheet, and he sits with the staff over a lunch, and he then just talks about various themes, the structure of the book, in order to increase the faithfulness, fidelity of the preaching. That's a gospel partner. Or let me give you one more. Um, Like a couple months into my family moving here and me being the senior pastor, I was preaching a sermon. And the sermon was what we theologically might call a dud. Uh, like 80% way through the, uh, the sermon, I was like, how do I land this plane? 
or I was like, God, just rapture me now. Like, get me out of here, all right? It was just a disaster. And I remember just walking out of here discouraged. But then someone grabbed me at the end, okay? And it was Hannah Palmer. And I was discouraged. And she, I don't remember what she said. She, and in my book, she's the funniest person in this entire church. She made me laugh so hard. So hard. And she just reminded me, Stephen, stop taking yourself so serious. I told you to feed my sheep, and sometimes I can work with Kraft mac and cheese. That's what you serve today. <laughs> That's what the church is. It's a, a partnership of, of, of gospel people uniting together, using their gifts in order to accomplish gospel purposes. We're a tapestry, a mosaic. A quilt of gospel partners linking arms, using our gifts, strategizing together in order to think through how we could advance the mission of the church. And so each of you, all of us, have our roles. Some might be seemingly more lofty, and some might be more lowly. But the purpose is always the same. And that is the point that Paul drives home in these last few verses. The point of all these gospel partners, and this is our second kind of point, the purpose of the network of gospel partners outside of the church and inside of the church is to encourage growth in the church. Look there in verse 8. All right, we, we see this, uh, a description of this with various language, but the point is generally the same. Verse 8, I have sent him, that is Tychicus, to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage you. I, I think it's that, that, that it might be better translated, that you may know how we are by, that you may know how we are by and thereby encourage you. So as he shares stories about what, uh, what is going on in Paul's life and, and in the various churches, that, that will encourage God's people. Or look down in verse 11. Paul lists three men. And then says, they have been a comfort to me. And I think the implied meaning is that they will be a comfort to this church in Colossae. But I think we see this most clearly in Epaphras. Verse 12. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers. I mean, here's a man who's on his knees in prayer for his church. And what is he praying for? that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and those that lay out a sea in Heropolis. So Epaphras, he toils, he works hard. The idea is he agonized over this church in prayer and in preaching and in teaching and in building them up. He wanted to encourage their work so that they might stand mature, fully assured in the will of God. This is the power of gospel partners, that they encourage gospel growth. They build up the church as they tell about God's work in other places. I mean, that, that, that's what happened last week in my life when I'm listening to Ivan as he's sharing these stories on front line in, in Romania and Ukraine. I'm just swelling up with encouragement, thinking, oh my goodness, here's a man who's just stepping out in faith. And so you have all these gospel partners in their own ways. God is using them to build up the church. Nympha through her house. Aristarchus through 
his chains, Luke through his pen as he writes scripture, Onesimus through his courage, he's going back. Talk about courage. Tychicus by way of his legs as he delivers letters. So God here is is using ordinary men and women and he's accomplishing extraordinary ends, isn't he? Now, I, I mentioned Tychicus earlier. He's mentioned five times. Five times, but we don't know much about him. What we do know is that he didn't do anything that, that, that we know of in Scripture, any, like, miraculous things. So, so he, he, he's not in the kind of Hebrews Hall of Fame. He, he's in the yearbook, but he's not most, most congeniality, most likely to succeed. That's not Tychicus. He's just an ordinary man who God uses in some extraordinary and important ways, which I think should be of comfort to all of us. We all have a Tychicus ministry because all of us will be lost by time. I mean, there are very few people who survive time. Our great-grandchildren will forget us. That's our role. One of the greatest preachers of all time, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, he, he was converted by a man. Stumbled in. There was like 12. It was a freak snowstorm. He, he said of this guy that he was like a, probably a, uh, um, like fixed shoes or he was just like a nobody. The preacher was stuck at home on, at this snowstorm. But you read any of his biographies or his autobiographies and he, no one knows who this man was who converted the greatest preacher in the Western world. Spurgeon doesn't even know. So here's this anonymous man who just stepped up to the plate, who had very little, he just stuck to, he basically just read the text and said, that's all folks, right? He wasn't even prepared and God used that man, that text, that moment to great effect. This past week, as I was thinking about this text, I was thinking of uh, this couple named Beth and Michael Kinsvogel. Now, you don't know them, but they are some beloved saints. Uh, when a few of us were members of this church called Grant Avenue Baptist Church in Corvallis, there was a group of about eight families, and we were going to go plant this church. We were all in our 20s. And Beth and Michael said, we're going to go with you. They were in their 50s. And they said, we're going to leave our friends. We're going to leave the comfort of this church that we've been a part of for a long time. And we're going to go with you because we think that we can, by our age and experience, we can encourage you in this work. And that is what they did. They were such an encouragement. They were so helpful. Like sometimes we were a church in a college town. So like 80% of our church were college students. So this is like the opposite of maybe most churches. Like most churches are filled with maybe old people. And so like a young family walks in and everyone's like, oh, be cool, be cool. Like, right? We were the opposite. Like we'd see a 50-year-old and we'd tell the college students like, be cool. Don't mess this up. And we'd be like, Michael, Beth, go get them, right? Oh, they're so helpful. They continually just encourage our hearts. This is why we need gospel partners. They, they help mature the church. They help grow the church. They help build up the church. But how? How? Now, there's lots of reasons. There's, there's actually a few in this text. 
but by telling stories. But, but I just want to point out one. I think it's the clearest or the, maybe the most overlooked reason that gospel partners help build up the church. Look there in verse 10. There's a, there's a throwaway description of three men, but it shouldn't be viewed or read as a throwaway description. There's some purpose. Paul is intentionally pointing something out to us for our encouragement. Verse 10. So we've got these three gospel partners, Aristarchus, Mark, Justice. And then Paul gives us this detail of these three men. They are fellow workers in the kingdom of God. They are, and here's the detail, circumcised. Which you're like, okay, Paul. (laughs) Don't exactly know why I need that detail, but thanks. Now, Paul's telling us something. Three out of the ten gospel partners listed are Jewish. Jews don't mix with Gentiles. There's a lot of problem in the early church trying to fix this Jew-Gentile problem. In the first century, when this letter was written, there were language barriers between Jew-Gentile. There was national animosity between the two groups. Different cultures, different preferences. They were each pulling from different history. I mean, you might not, just as you're reading this, like you might not read the animosity in that little phrase. Oh, but it's there. But everything changed when Jesus came on the scene. Remember John 4? Jesus is interacting with a woman. Jesus crosses a forbidden barrier. He talks to a woman, not just a woman. He talks to a Samaritan woman. Right? And this woman even is like taken aback. She's like, "Uh, Jesus, what what do you do? You can't cross this barrier. And Jesus just does it. Actually, it's interesting that the disciples were like, what are you doing? You can't cross that barrier. They like sort of like push back on him. Which is just crazy when you think about it. I mean, just if, you, if you're at uh, John 4, think about what happens in John 3, right? In John 3, Jesus is interacting with Nicodemus. And Nicodemus is like, how can I be saved? How can I inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, you got to be born again. And all the disciples are like, that's a little far-fetched, but like, we'll go with you, Jesus. I mean, that's outrageous. But they don't push back on Jesus. But the first time they push back on Jesus, it's when Jesus talks to a woman. I mean, that's the sort of animosity going on. Here. That's the cultural tension. At any moment, the, smart, the smallest spark could just ignite a frenzy. What does Jesus tell this woman? Jesus says, The hour is coming when the true worshipers of when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship. Now, what, what, what is Jesus saying? Well, simply this. He's saying. He's saying, by Jesus' life and his death, his resurrection and his ascension, what that did, shorthand for the gospel, it is breaking down barriers such that whoever believes in Jesus Christ, regardless of those barriers, can have access to Christ and worship God. That's the power that that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection didn't just pay for Israel's sin, but for all people who put their trust and faith in Jesus Christ. 
That's the extent of the gospel. It breaks down these barriers. So Jesus doesn't just like stoop down and save me or people like me, but he saves other people, people who are not like me. He doesn't just save rich or poor. He doesn't just save black or white. The barrier of the gospel, or I should say the the gospel breaks down these various barriers that we have. I mean, Paul even says this right before, right before our chapter in Colossians in chapter three, doesn't he? Right? He, in chapter one and chapter two, you know, Paul is writing about the, just the fullness of the gospel, how big the gospel is, this, this mystery that, that, that is displayed through the work and person of Jesus Christ. And he says this full Christ is now making a full and diverse people, isn't he? Where there's no Greek or Jew, slave or free, circumcised or uncircumcised, but Christ is all and in all. Meaning that Christ brings together a partnership of people across barriers and unites them together in the blood of Jesus Christ. That's how the church matures. She matures as she puts on the garments of the Christian gospel. As she reminds herself of who she is, of her heavenly identity. Or to use the words of Paul in Colossians chapter 1, verse 26. The mystery, which is the gospel, hidden from ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of his mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, the book of Acts reminds us, and if you read Galatians as well, that the working out of this was messy. There was animosity and there was sin yet to be put to death, but the spirit, like Aslan, was on the move. So just imagine, imagine this church in Classe receiving this letter and greetings from a diversity of gospel partners, including some that were Jewish. It would probably be like a Ukrainian church right now receiving a letter from a Russian church. Encouraging them, saying, what do you need? You need money? Got it. We got you. We're praying for you. We're we're partners with you in the gospel. Whatever our history, whatever the things that that are pulling us apart, Christ is more powerful to bring us together. Can you imagine receiving a letter, a Ukrainian church from a Russian church? Just how encouraging that would be? That's what's going on here. In Christ, this new humanity is being formed and maturity is taking place as they cling to that reality. That's the power of the gospel. And it's the power of gospel partners linking arms to encourage that growth. We need each other. We need to partner with each other. With each other inside this room, inside this church, and partners outside of this church because we are better together. And so in closing, I I think what might be most helpful for our encouragement is for me to read a portion, just a portion of a gospel partner we have and a letter she just wrote in uh, March, uh, dated March 2nd. We we partner in ministry with this woman named Chris Rep, who's a medical missionary. She goes all over and she writes this for our encouragement. She writes this. 
Today, Lord willing, I plan to leave for Greece to work in collaboration with the Congolese Refugee Church in Athens. For years, I have had a special place in my heart for the Congolese people. In 2008, I was deployed to the Congo DRC to do relief work in the war zone. In 2017 and in 2019, I worked on Lesvos Island, Greece, where thousands of refugees lived in horrific conditions until the camp was completely destroyed by fire in 2020. Many of those refugees were Congolese and are now living in Athens. After years of destitution, they continue to wait to be granted asylum. There are few workers that are able to communicate with them in their heart language. They're French speakers. I hope to avail myself in whatever ways God may use me and use my ability to speak French, to counsel and encourage those people who continue to live in desperate situation and seemingly have lost hope. I feel very small, Chris writes. Yet in light, in light of the huge problems that exist throughout this world, I feel very small. But I have learned that God is just a step of faith away from doing the impossible when I choose to trust in him and not my own power. I pray you are learning that as well. Thank you for your prayers. And though she doesn't end it like Paul, who ends his letter, remember my change, chains, if you know Chris Rep, she always ends her letters the same way, honeymooning with Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, uh, we, we, we are so grateful for the various partners we have, how you just uniquely knit a people together by the power of your gospel across various barriers in order to accomplish your ends, Lord. I, I pray, Lord, that you would Help us to be more prayerful for our partners outside of the church, our, our missionaries, uh, the, the different agencies we, we work with, Lord. I just pray, Lord, we, that we as a church could encourage their work and likewise that they would encourage our work. I pray for our church, Lord, and pray that, that, that you would help us to, to encourage the work that you are doing in our lives. L- Lord, one of the ways that you say that you will manifest your glory to the world is in how we, as diverse people gifted in various ways, come together. So we pray, Lord, that we would display the gospel to our community by how we love one another. Lord, we are so thankful for your son, and it's in his name that we pray. Amen.